When Ryan's when it's time to begin, it's on the rewind around with John Pollock and waiting. The A team that makes sense of these things we see in the ring every week on TV. It's rewind around for Monday night, download a Tuesday morning from the post wrestling site. It's rewind around for Monday night on USA now on the John and Wade take the mic. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Rewind to Raw. It's John Pollock here along with Wei Ting. Thank you for tuning in to the show. And I'm not going to preface by saying this is going to be a, a show that is going to be filled with a lot of good news because this is among the darkest periods I think we I, – I think that I can say, Wei, I've ever covered. I think that forever it's it was the summer of 2007, everything associated with Benoit, that it was just very – difficult to even follow this industry, uh, much less cover it. And that's sort of how I feel about this period right now. It's just, I, I would imagine there's a lot of people that are just having a hard time uh, just just following this. It's it's horrible. Every day, almost by the hour, it's new stuff coming out and it's all terrible. It's all awful. And it my stomach doesn't turn any less with each ensuing story that comes through. And that's kind of where I'm at right now. Yeah, no, I can, uh, you know, definitely understand. Um, it's, it's, uh, the, th- I, I, you know, the thing is, is that th- this is all stuff that's really been brewing underneath and it's only being brought to surface now. So mm-hmm. that's, I think, you know, it's, it's a catalyst for change. We all have to kind of perhaps face something like this, but I mean, you more than most, because you have to feel sort of like, the full brunt of it. I mean, you're really deep into it, trying to get statements from all of these different promotions and staying on top of it. To be honest, like quite myself, man, it's so easy to get burnt out. And I just had to take a step back like earlier today and not follow every single detail or at least specifically pick my times that I'm going to catch up on all the news. Um, just cause like it's, it's incredibly, it can be overwhelming and, and, and very mentally taxing. So if I recommend if people are feeling the same way to, you know, very important to stay informed, uh, of course, but also to, you know, ensure that you're, um, you know, making the space to digest it all properly yourself. Yeah. So we're going to go into um, the news here. And I'm just going to tell people off the top that uh, a lot of this off the top, it's going to be uh, at times a graphic in nature with some of the the stories and descriptions. So I do want to let people uh, know of that ahead of time. And I'm going to start with what really just broke right before we were set to start the show, and that was Impact Wrestling uh, coming out with a statement. Um, several allegations um, have been levied against uh, performers with the company, and Impact has announced that it has terminated its deals with Dave Christ and Joey Ryan. And in addition to that, they have also suspended Michael Elgin pending further review of allegations of misconduct. Uh, Joey Ryan, uh, going to spend a lot of time uh, discussing uh, his stories because there have been numerous allegations regarding Ryan, um, numerous allegations towards Dave Christ, which include sexual abuse, sending unsolicited photos uh, of a very inappropriate nature. Um, Elgin has also been accused of sending unwanted photos. I, I would say that of it, obviously they're investigating, looking into the Elgin situation uh, with Christ and Joey Ryan way. Um, you know, over this weekend, I think this was the only decision Impact could have made. There, I don't think there was any way they could have continued uh, with, with those two performers with what is out there and the number as well of allegations, too, that are 
you know, painting uh, a pattern. Yeah, certainly. I, I absolutely agree. I mean, it got, it had gotten to the point where I think, um, it, you know, impact was almost like developing a mini reputation for being a place where like a lot of the accused were working and, and, uh, primarily those two, I, I suppose. And it definitely required them to take some action you know, um, certainly throughout this entire thing, we've been discussing um, perhaps, you know, uh, reserving judgment for a lot of cases until they get their fair trials. Um, when something, when somebody is accused multiple times from multiple accounts and all of them pretty horrific, um, I feel like the, a bit of that leniency definitely goes out the window, at least in terms of public opinion. So I, I, I definitely feel like they didn't really have any other choice. These are companies that are making decisions based on like we can't in good conscience promote these people and are going to face enormous criticism for for doing such that there is nothing that you know is going to stop a company from cutting ties with with people when it's this number of allegations and there's certainly going to be people that argue in the other way that they deserve uh due process that they deserve uh, so on and so forth but this you know, these companies are making these decisions based on, you know, what they have looked into. And in the case of uh, Joey Ryan, he had put out a statement over the weekend, but has since deleted that uh, along with deactivating his Twitter account. I guess that can kind of uh, segue a bit into just specific to Joey Ryan, uh, because he has been hit with uh, many allegations um, uh, flirting with uh, a 17-year-old uh, again when she was 18, uh, another woman who posted anonymously uh, alleging that he forced her to perform a sexual act on him. Uh, those were just some of the allegations. So his company, Bar Wrestling, they have also deactivated their Twitter account. Uh, Steve Bryant at SoCal Uncensored reporting that that is probably it for Bar Wrestling and their venue was not going to do any more business with them. So that would likely um, take Bar Wrestling out of the out of the wrestling industry scene, but specific to uh, the California scene, uh, we have seen being the elite has gone back and deleted some past episodes that involved Joey Ryan, including uh, the funeral episode for Joey Ryan. And they didn't even put out a new episode today. And yeah, a lot of people uh, horrified at this. Uh, Candice LeRae put out a very shocked statement and just horrified at seeing all of these allegations uh, involving someone that she was, you know, worked consistently with as an act on the independent scene before she went to WWE. And, you know, I, I would say that, you know, with Joey Ryan and with David Starr, um, you know, they seem to be two people that I, I really can't imagine a future in this industry. Uh, these and could be very significant in terms of, you know, charges brought forth, um, you know, wrestling is not even really part of the discussion point, but that's, it's, it's really significant. Yeah, we'll see. Um, I think it would take a lot to rehab both of those reputations at the moment. Um, so yeah, we'll see. Um, moving on from there, um, we also got a statement from High Spots that I wanted to read because they took down their content in relation to uh, bar wrestling. Uh, that was noticeable this morning. So I did reach out to High Spots and they sent us a statement just indicating that they ended the agreement 
as it relates to any future money being paid to Joey Ryan. Uh, therefore, they took down Bar Wrestling from their streaming service since Bar Wrestling would have received money based on the number of viewers that it attracted. Um, they added that we did not pull the Joey Ryan penis party since Joey was paid a one-time fee uh, to use his name to promote the show, but uh, he never saw a penny for sales after the fact. Uh, this is a similar deal they have with Joey Janela with Game Changer Wrestling for spring break. However, they will be rebranding that event on the service as the WrestleCon penis party, and they are dropping that concept show or at least that name for future uh, as well. They haven't pulled the bar wrestling DVDs and video downloads off high spots, uh, which he does uh, couch as saying they haven't pulled them yet because we've already paid for that content and nothing related to its sales would go back to Joey Ryan. We may choose to remove these things in the future, but since zero money is being paid to Joey for these sales, it's something that uh, uh, Michael at high spots is comfortable keeping up at this time as they continue to ponder how to handle these issues. So that is how they're handling things in, in relation to uh, content involving Joey Ryan as well. So that is kind of the latest on him. We also had uh, a comment that took place. This was a podcast interview in January of 2016 involving Sammy Guevara. And in the comment, he is talking about being at a recent WWE event and stating that he wanted to rape Sasha Banks. And this comment was uh, a horrible comment. Uh, this led to uh, Sammy Guevara issuing a statement about it and Sasha Banks herself addressing it as well. And it seemed like that was going to be it. And Sammy Guevara rightfully got a, a ton of uh, backlash today over that comment. Uh, but then AEW took the step that they are suspending Guevara indefinitely without pay. And they are going to be taking his salary during this, this time period and are going to be donating it to a women's center in Jacksonville, Florida. And then they're going to reevaluate Sammy Guevara's status with the company at a later date. So obviously he is off of AEW indefinitely, including the match with Matt Hardy this Wednesday. So this is, um, what way did, did you think that AEW would go to that extent after the statements were released from Guevara and Sasha Banks today? After the statements, not so much. Um, maybe not not that particular extent. I mean, before the statement, I definitely think that they were needed to address this one. What action to take based off of this? And again, it's I think it's importantly it's incredibly important at this point to remind everybody to not make the mistake of grouping all of these accusations into one pile. They're, yes. part, they're all part of one big discussion, but they greatly vary in terms of severity. And, you know, Sammy Grafar saying, you know, making a very uh, inappropriate comment, a uh, very offensive comment um, about rape on a podcast is very different from the accusations of people that might have actually committed rape. So let's all just remember that and take a step back for a second. Uh, but, it, you know, it, as far as this goes, I mean, it seemed like it had ended between you know sammy and sasha rather publicly and i would say you know at a pretty mutually um agreeable term private conversation was had apparently between the two uh but certainly it seems like AEW at this point wants to make a stand wants to make a statement about how they're they have a zero toler tolerance policy i suppose when it comes to matters of this sort or at least that's the indication that i get from from an action like this almost going a little overboard and certainly um, you can, you see criticism, you know, about 
their action uh, on both sides. Some some applauding, some wanting more, some thinking it's too much. And it's it, you know it's it's not up for me to decide. It's it's up to Tony Khan and you know the people involved with AEW, and this is what they considered appropriate. They made this decision, and I think that you have to look at their decision as also being indicative of what is going on in the moment. If this had happened two weeks ago, I, I don't know if they're going to that extent of suspending him indefinitely. Like we have seen examples where you know past tweets, past comments uh, have. You know, there's been ones where they have been dealt with action and ones where they are not dealt with action. If if it like, listen, if you want to go through the history of people and things that they have said on Twitter, on podcasts, you're probably going to find instances, maybe not as bad as this, maybe in some cases worse than this. Um, I think it's something that AEW has kind of set a precedent now, but it's also going to be tempered by. The climate that they are in and it's a situation where some people are going to look at this and say this is too extreme that you can't uh, go this far over what was a comment uh, a horrible one or you're going to get other people that if they didn't do this would say that AEW is not acting that they're allowing uh, something horrible to be said like this and they're part of the problem not the solution I do give like a certain degree of latitude to a lot of the people that are in the positions of having to do something right now and all eyes are on them for their action. And no matter what you do, there's going to be someone and groups that are going to disagree with your decision. It is an intense situation at the moment. And I think everybody in these positions that are walking on eggshells are, are doing so. And just, you know, you step in the wrong direction you are going to upset a lot of people right now. It's um, I think everyone's emotions are just very heightened by all of this. And um, that's where Sammy Guevara found himself today. Like this was not the day for a clip like that to be resurfacing. Yeah, no. Um, but I do I appreciate no, the no point. No day you- would, be, would be a right. You know, like he said it, you know, he said it and you know action i suppose is is a different discussion to be had you know the 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 timing of this clip coming out did it i mean it's it's an important lesson for everybody honestly you know especially if you have the the privilege of broadcasting your voice to a number of people um to to watch your words at least you know when it comes to saying things for shock value like that yeah i i think like he he's guilty of being an idiot that's what he is mm mm-hmm. So, and it's important what Way noted that it is beyond overwhelming, all of these stories, and it becomes very easy to just paint everyone with the same brush. And that's what it's, it's very dangerous when you do that, because there are differences to every case that it is important to assess each one by each one, by each individual allegation. And a lot of people are left to make that interpretation. It's a, it's a very dangerous game to play. But it's also one where, I mean, like I've thought about this long and hard all weekend uh, because I knew we would have to talk about this tonight. And it is not something I have taken lightly, but uh, of just looking at all of these situations and some are very clear cut when you are alleging things that are uh, like rape or physical assault, sexual abuse, like that's that's pretty black and white that you can you can see. And then you have issues where it is. Uh, among people that are in relationships that you're you are never going to you know inform someone and tell them you know what 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 is serious what's not you are not that person you are not in that relationship you can't speak to what goes on 
relationships are extremely complex. And I think like we're seeing every, every iteration, every example of like what you can see right now. And it's um, like, I don't feel comfortable being in a situation where we're going to look and you have to uh, categorize these or look at what is, what is a fireable offense? What is people's personal lives that we really should not be, be privy to? That's like, they run the gamut. And there's so many of them that I think it becomes very easy to just put them all into this one box to make sense of it and just write off everyone. And it's it's much more complex than that. This is not an easy situation to talk about. Yeah. Um, any any other um, kind of final thoughts as we move on from this? I know that the uh, the British wrestling experience is going to be talking about this uh, a lot uh, this week. Um, when you when you look way at you know the like we're seeing certainly this is not just limited to the European scene, but there is like that is uh, a system that I think is greatly um, under the microscope right now of change. Like to me, the European wrestling scene is going to be viewed as pre and post speaking out like this is going to radically change a, a lot of that that part of the world. And it's certainly over here in the US, we're seeing a lot of stories and. I don't know if we're going to see changes from the bottom up, but I think that in the European scene, like this is the ultimate signal of like reform being necessary. And I don't know what the future of that scene looks like. I think a lot of it will have to do with um, what, what changes are made as a result of all this. And maybe uh, we can get into a bit of that during the news, but uh, certainly it's, it's something that has already decimated an already decimated, you know um, uh, you can argue, uh, um, I guess, uh, I don't know, scene over there. And this is just, um, I would say in some ways, another nail in the coffin of what used to be, I think of really burgeoning, you know, area for professional wrestling. So, I, you know, as far as like, you know, how we'll look back on it, I think much of that will be determined by what actual changes are made. Yeah. And, and how much more comes out, um, you know, it's it's one thing like it's not being over there. It's it's hard to decipher, but it, you're seeing like coverage outside of just the wrestling world um, in the UK. Whereas over here, like I'm not seeing these stories really getting uh, attention outside of wrestling at mm-hmm. this point. And part of that is, you know, it's it's going to be if it's a, a massive name that is attached to this on the North American side, I think that is what, um, you know, sadly is what then gains attention. But at this point, this does feel almost as though it's contained within the wrestling world as horrifying as it is um, over in the UK. Like you're seeing coverage of this on the BBC. There is like police that are looking into this and it seems that it's, it's a story that is just, too big to just be contained or swept under the rug because the volume is staggering. Right. You know, the topic itself, is, you know, certainly is getting um, a lot of press here, but it's not necessarily uh, focused on professional wrestling, but more so um, like, like John said, celebrity and the bigger the name, the more likely um, the internet will focus on it. And it, it could be music. It could be comedy. You know, this, this thing, unfortunately, like we've been talking about it as if you know it's a wrestling specific thing, but it's really not. It it affects women in all walks of life and all forms of entertainment. Um, specifically, is I guess what we're talking about right now, and 
you know, perhaps that could be part of the reason why the mainstream hasn't really focused it so much on, on the wrestling side of things here, because there, there are fires going on everywhere, mm-hmm. in all industries. All right. Um, we're going to move on to some actual, um, you know, specific to wrestling news items uh, on Tuesday or sorry, on Monday, uh, it was first reported by uh, John Orrand at Sports Business Journal that FS1 is uh, scaling back its production. Um, John Orrand reported that approximately uh, 20 uh, producers and on-air talent at FS1 uh, were let go. And this this is going to affect WWE Backstage, uh, which is being scaled back from a weekly show. And the, the latest uh, from John Orrand is that it's going to be done uh, around big pay-per-views and big events and looks to be something that will not be – you know, not be anywhere close to as regular as it was in its its Tuesday night regular slot. There was no promotion of it tonight. Uh, Mike Johnson added there won't be an episode uh, tomorrow night, and this seems to be um, not the cancellation of backstage, but largely uh, the end of the show in the format that we had been seeing it up until now. Right. Yeah. You know what? You never want to hear about you know people being let go, especially in any any form of of employment, but for me specifically, you know hearing about it in broadcasting um because we could certainly empathize with that it sucks um you know it, it i i i guess it was it's something that they they decided they could cut. Do you have any uh idea of who might stay attached to to it as far as names that we might recognize and who might not be i I don't know beyond i mean uh Ryan Satin put put up a posting indicating he won't be uh, with the show any longer. Um, but I, I don't know what the revamped backstage w- would look like. To me, if you're only going to do it a handful of times a year, uh, I would imagine it would just be people under WWE that it's you know it's an extra thing to do that week, and you would you would have the performers involved that are WWE contracted people do- doing it, but a much more um, you know it's. It's just going to be a handful of time, a handful of episodes each year. Do you think CM Punk is among the names that will return? That would be a great question because you would think that he probably had the the largest deal uh, of any of those people that, um, you know, he was working directly with, with Fox Sports. He was not under a deal to WWE that, yeah, that that would be the big question mark if, if CM Punk has any more involvement because – you know, you would say that uh, uh, this show, the the person that would have the biggest effect was CM Punk throughout this this time he was on the show. This was not a series that had gigantic viewership, although last week uh, they did one of their best numbers last week when they had Punk on with Bret Hart. Um, you know, Punk was probably, for people that watched the show, probably the guy that would indicate if you were going to tune in or not. But I would imagine he came at a pretty high price, and when it comes to cuts – and you're not doing this weekly, you would you would naturally look in his direction. So that's one um I, I would imagine that he probably won't be back. We'll see if he says anything in the coming days. Yeah. And then we also had the uh the New Japan Cup that went down earlier today. Did you get to see any of the matches? I did. Yes. I saw everything except for the main event. Uh this was a really solid show. I thought that I thought that Chotanaka and Shingo Takagi had one of the best matches this year. I uh, love that match. I thought it was phenomenal. I I think so too. Again, this year it's going to be really hard to like think about <laughs> our best ofs because I I really 
number one, it's more it's difficult to do that anyway. But in particular this year, trying to compare the pre-COVID matches to the post-COVID matches and really the variety of post-COVID COVID matches that we've had between the cinematic matches and I would say like, you know, all different forms of empty arena matches that really feel different all in their own way. It's going to be really hard for me to compare and contrast, but certainly expectations were very high for Show versus Shingo Takagi, and we won't. Were you planning on spoiling it? Um, I mean, I I, I don't. Fine if you are, just 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 I would I would give a just a warning. That's all. But anyway, a really good match as as people I think you know many people would anticipate. Um, along with that, we also had Zack Saber Jr. versus Kota Ibushi which I thought was a very solid match as well. Uh, but if I had to pick my match of the night, definitely would be show versus Shingo. I, I did too. Like I really, I watched, uh, I finally caught up and saw the Yuji Nagata Minoru Suzuki match on Sunday night. And then this, uh, this to me, this was one of my favorite matches this, this year, regardless of crowds or no crowds. Like I've been very down on these empty arena matches. Like, you know, there, there's been some gems in there, but this one to me, I thought it was the, the one that most overcame the lack of a crowd and I was just envisioning like this was a career making match for Shotanaka if you were like in Cork and Hall for this. And even with without it, I think this still greatly enhanced uh just his his star. I was I love this match. I thought it was outstanding. Uh one of my favorite matches this year. Cool. So yes. Uh tomorrow I don't know if we're going to get um, the same level of quality. We have um, kind of the the lower end of the bracket, I guess we could say. We've got uh, let me let me pull up the matches here that we're going to be seeing in a couple of hours. We have Tenzon versus Yoshihashi, Bushi versus Yo, Evil versus Satoshi Kojima. Maybe that will surprise. And WH is Park to win the entire thing. Hiroki Goto versus Yujiro. Okay, yeah, definitely a weaker show on paper, but I mean, everything has the potential to surprise. It does, yes. So, um, let us move on uh, to what's coming up this week, Way. Do you want to uh, alert people? What is happening Tuesday night? Tuesday night, John and I are back for our latest edition of Rewind Away, and uh, this is going to be later Tuesday. Sometimes we upload these shows on Tuesday at about, like, Tuesday evening. I wouldn't expect this one until deep into Tuesday slash Wednesday morning. So just make time for it probably Wednesday morning uh, because we're going to be recording these a little bit later than usual. But John and I are back with Rewind Away and the poll results are in. We left it up to you guys to to determine amongst four in your house pay-per-views, which one you wanted to choose. And the winner was the three hour one, not the two, two hour (laughs) ones that I picked. WWF Ground Zero which is the first pay-per-view that John and I ever reviewed on our first edition of Re- Review Away, way back when, nine or, no, is it 10 years ago now at this point? So uh, a lot a lot of uh, people have been sp- uh, asking about whether or not we've done this show, and I think there's been some confusion on the message board with some people swearing that we've done this twice. We could find no indication that we've actually re- reviewed this one beyond the first one that we reviewed. So unless we are mistaken... Uh, this will only be the second time I've watched this show in about 10 years. So we shall see the birth of the Scott Putzky Award. Uh, that is true. And featuring the first ever pay-per-view singles match between The Undertaker, who we'll be talking about later, and Shawn Michaels. Oh, okay. All right. Um, then we've got our usual Wednesday night lineup with Rewind to Dynamite. And up next, uh, AEW has a live show on Wednesday night and 
NXT is a tape show from last week. Thursday is the British Wrestling Experience with Martin Bushby, James E, and Benno. Uh, I imagine this is going to be um, an incredible discussion uh, from, from these three who have been uh, following all of this horrific news over the last week. And um, I, I'm looking forward to listening to them. I know the subject matter will be very dark, but I think those are three voices that um, uh, understand all of this you know, uh, very, very well. And, you know, it's been a very difficult week, I'm sure, for them to be following all of this as well. Yeah. Yeah. But I look forward to that show Friday. John and I are back with a live edition of Rewind of SmackDown for our patrons. So you can sign up for $6 a month and you can join us live at 10 o'clock every Friday evening. Uh, And then Saturday, this got a bit of a delay and at the request of Nate Milton, because he felt last weekend was a little bit inappropriate to to do this, this sort of a... I don't know, celebratory fun podcast. But this week, hopefully nothing of the sort happens because it's the return of the Rocky Maivia picture show with Nate Milton and John Cena, and they will be reviewing G.I. Joe. Retaliation, is that it? Yep, that's it. All right. I was going to say retribution, like one of these... Oh, this revolution, is revolution, you know, one of these generic re things. The three re's, yes. Uh, so that's coming up on Saturday. All of the shows can be found at postwrestling.com and you can sign up postwrestlingcafe.com, which gets you rewind away on Tuesday and rewind to SmackDown live on Friday and night. Our, and our entire archive, John. Oh, probably what more like could you ask for? Hundreds of hours and hours and hours and hours of podcasts. We talk a lot. We talk a lot to each other, and we're about to talk more. We've got Raw and The Last Ride to discuss. You did see The Last Ride, I assume? I did see The Last Ride. Yeah, forget we were talking about it today. But yes, absolutely, I'm more than ready. Hey, before we move on, happy Father's Day to you, John. Oh, thank you. To all the fathers that were out there, uh, hopefully, you know, despite all the terrible news, hopefully most of you got to spend some time uh, with your loved ones or uh, whoever, you, even by yourself, you know, as long as you enjoyed your weekend, I, I, I hope the best for, for everybody out there. Thank you. Thank you very much. And we now move on to Raw from Monday night. This was taped uh, last Wednesday. So this being notable that, you know, obviously anyone who was here in the building was tested on the day before and had to receive clearance in order to show up here. Not only were they tested, they must have like, you know, cleared, like gave them like throat, like um, cleanings because everybody sounded so much louder tonight than usual. It sounded like they had just gone into their best of uh, audio crowds and just uh, it was it was silly at some times. Like the crowd was at its most fake tonight where there were times where the camera is on the crowd doing nothing. And you would think that you have just walked into um, a pep rally at Bayside High. (laughs) They brought up the special microphones that they use for Edge and Norton this one enhanced audio is how we call enhanced it these audio. days yes can listen can sound listen it i i admit it does sound good but because i'm so used to not sound not not hearing it this way because we've seen so many other instances of these shows not hearing it this way i cannot help but stop to think about how artificial it sounds every time i hear it piped in and and that's the problem i understand the the i think desire to do it because this was a tape show but if you're not going to do it for all the shows, I don't think you can cherry pick which shows or which matches to specifically pipe this type of noise in. It, it, it is way too jarring if you only do it occasionally. Well, tonight was promoted as Championship Monday, where they had promoted 
three, actually four title matches in advance because they also promoted the 24-7 title matches. We ended up getting, uh, if you count Tozawa and R-Truth, we ended up getting five title matches, which again follows the theme that we saw last Monday on Raw of more title matches on TV. And we got, yeah, we, had, we had one match tonight that wasn't a title match, and that was Natalia and Liv Morgan. Everything else was a title match. And how, how did the ratings reflect it? I mean, last week, they had a very good number. I don't know if you can pin that on title matches. I think that was more so the Orton Christian stuff. But uh, I'll say again this week, I thought this show moved. These three hours, I thought that they were paced very well. I didn't think this show dragged. It was I, – I thought like this was a show that like consistently was moving and it was not even one that was all that wrestling heavy. Like the first two hours, I think we had what? Two two matches, maybe three in the first two hours? Something like that, yeah. Uh, I totally agree with you. You know, two weeks into this uh, quote-unquote Pritchard era, I've actually been in favor. I've, I approve. You know, these shows have been moving well at a good pace. You know, they're not necessarily that high, at least this particular episode, on like in-ring quality. A lot of these matches, despite I think the, the fanfare surrounding the championship stuff, they were shorter matches, but I don't really have a problem with that, particularly when you get into the later periods of this show. In the third hour, I, I, I really don't have that much of an appetite for like a 30-minute type of match. And so instead, they just gave you things that, you know, felt like they had some consequence attached to them, but then they like gave you an in and then an out with a conclusion, which to me is the most important thing, and also storyline points to, to come out of those matches uh and i I felt like the show succeeded for the most part with all that and again building the whole show to your biggest angle for the last segment in the third hour yeah so drew mcintyre came out to start the show he kind of made fun of the winner take all concept the week before but it's time to look to the future and the future is dolph ziggler who walks out and he is the future consideration for AJ Styles. Ziggler informs Drew that him and Robert Roode, who was not there, have been traded to Raw. And he's glad that Drew is champion. Um, it took me during the whole entrance to remember these two were paired together for a time. And Dolph takes credit for McIntyre coming to Raw in the first place and becoming champion. Therefore, he feels he is owed a title match at Extreme Rules. Drew calls him an entitled jackass and... You gave me the nickname, the Scottish psychopath. So imagine how far I will go and asks, do you really want this match? And they agree to it. Extreme rules. It's going to be Drew McIntyre against Dolph Ziggler for the WWE title. And this was maybe the most abrupt shift because all signs pointed to a continuation of Drew McIntyre and Bobby Lashley. And we just got the reset button hit here because Dolph Ziggler is inserted and Bobby Lashley is... Off to the U.S. title program. Well, what signs would those have been? Because I'm, I'm even trying to <laughs> to remember right now. We got the, we got the like the inconclusive finish at Extreme Rules where Lana got involved, and last week Lashley was constantly saying, "If you're a real man, you'll give me a rematch because you didn't win fair." And this week that wasn't even addressed. I mean, could they have changed directions in two days? Well, it was. It wasn't like it was a case where uh, Lashley was somehow like couldn't get cleared in time and be on the show. He was all over the show. Um, it feels like it felt like a hard switch because they were absolutely teasing that last week. Right. 
Well, I suppose I always looked at the Lana stuff as more so, you know, uh, a way to kind of just get Lana out of that association, out of the the association with Bobby Lashley. But who knows what might have been tinkered around with during this whole period? Uh, because, yes, I definitely agree that this was a really abrupt um, contender. And I really there's and it, a less interesting title program, in my opinion. Oh, I was very, I was really into the Lashley stuff. Well, very, very much so. Uh, no heat at all to this challenge. Dolph really uh, I, like a sidekick at best. You Are know? you saying this needed some enhanced audio? There was plenty of enhanced audio, and I don't think it really helped the segment at all. And I just really can't get into Dolph as a challenger, especially without any sort of string of wins or any sort of momentum or any sort of indication of a push behind him prior to this. It's a match, I have to say, that, that doesn't even feel strong enough for a TV main event. So I would say, um, I don't know, it feels like they're kind of like <laughs> giving up for this one. And just letting the other matches really hold this card together because this feels no more than a an exhibition for Drew McIntyre. Well, it's ice cold to start with. I mean, Dolph was the last we had seen. Like, this guy was losing to Otis on SmackDown. Now, to be fair, when they set up Lashley and Drew, like, that was relatively cold as well. And look what they did in four weeks to get Lashley ready. So let's reserve judgment and we will see sure. what what they can do in four weeks to get Dolph Ziggler ready for this match. Hey, so that, that, I guess that ends that too, right? I, I guess they weren't really doing too much anyway, uh, Dolph and Mandy. But that, that finishes that. That's that's it. That's it. It's done. Um, and yeah, still no uh, Bobby Roode. So he was in, he was part of the trade, but not here. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, there sh- shouldn't be any holdup in him uh, traveling, but uh, I guess there's other circumstances. He's not there. Nia Jax came out. And she just sat in the middle of the ring. She was going to do a sit-in and complains about Charlotte Flair getting a title shot with Asuka. And Nia said she was cheated at Backlash. And then she was cheated last week due to a biased referee. And R-Truth comes out, says, I'm supposed to have a match with Tozawa. And thinks that Nia is the real Tozawa in disguise. And then the ninja Tozawa appears behind the announcers and the ninjas surround the ring. Minus Big Jordan. Big Jordan is no longer one of the ninjas. At least not this week. No. It's hard to miss him. So I would have caught him. Charlotte then comes out and gets into this. Uh, Truth ends up running away from the ninjas. So that's how he disappears. More on that later. Charlotte comes out. They talk about nepotism. And Charlotte explains all the things she's done that her father did not do for her. Such as ending Oscar's streak. And... Then Jack says that they had one match together three years ago that Nia dominated. And do you remember that classic that they had? Dude, I couldn't even remember last week's Raw. I had to look this up. They had a singles match on Raw on April 10th, 2017 that Nia Jax won. Okay. So I'll take her word for it that she dominated this match. So the two brawl, and it leads to Charlotte injuring her left arm, and this would become a major focus of the show, and Flair going into her match with Asuka injured. Yeah, yeah. So uh, starting tease of, of Nia versus Charlotte, I really like the way they set up the arm injury here. Uh, yeah, and they, like this show seemed to be, at least temporarily, writing off Charlotte because you had Flair kind of cut this promo talking about when Charlotte comes back, she's going to go for Nia. But this this really did feel like they were 
writing off Charlotte, at least for the time being, with like the like they raced through the Oscar thing and then they did this big angle later with the arm. Uh, and with that flare line, like it does seem like Charlotte is going to be at least gone for some period of time. So you don't think they're setting this match up for extreme rules? I would. It would seem really weird if she's back next week. But I mean, I mean, they got like three weeks. Yeah, well, we'll see. I mean, the way the flair promo went, like, you know, it was kind of indicated, you know, wh- whenever Charlotte comes back. But we'll see what the timing is on that. So. The Street Profits and Viking Raiders are backstage, and the Viking Raiders, they say, we are not the NWO. The Viking Profits are not for life. They start singing together. They put their fists together, but it's on when the bell rings. Eric tells them to bring the smoke, and as they leave, Zelina Vega is there eavesdropping. Maybe she is the new hacker. So Ali's moved too, right? Ali is now on Raw, yes. Yeah. Was he traded? He was not a future consideration. He has not been. Uh, he has not been accounted for. He's just a free agent, I guess. Um. Yeah, I guess so. Was he okay? So, do you think he'll bring the hacker thing with him? Um. Depends. His equipment wasn't drafted, so that might mm. be SmackDown property. Might be SmackDown's IP. Okay. Do you, I mean, do, you just, th- do you think they'll keep the the hacker thing on SmackDown, even though they're moving Ali to Monday? Do uh, I don't think they know, man. Do you honestly? <laughs> I have no idea. Yes. No. Whatever. The Street Profits and Viking Raiders for the Raw Tag Titles. This was your video game match. That's all I can compare this to. It was just big moves, nonstop. Ford did a Topekan hero to the floor, but was caught by Eric, who threw him into Dawkins. That set up our commercial break. We come back. They hit the Viking experience onto Eric, and then Ivar makes the save. Ivar hits a handspring back elbow. Then we get a series of cartwheels by everybody. There's a slam and powerbomb combo by Eric to both. Then Ivar misses a top rope splash. Dawkins hits the spine buster that is called the cash out. And then Dawkins spears Eric as Ford hits from the heavens to win this thing. It was 838 in length, but like three and a half of that was the commercial break. So we pretty much had like five minutes here. And it was just uh, four guys on special hitting every big maneuver possible that this was the match for anyone with ADD. I really enjoyed it. I, I mean, it was the best way to present this. Like, it was, like, nonstop, like, moves. Yeah, yeah. I, I really feel like, you know, the, the, the idea behind this show is to make sure that you don't switch the channel. And if you get big guys here doing uh, agile things explosively with a fa- in a fast match with something at stake at the end, I, I think they managed to do a good job of keeping you hooked for, for these five, eight minutes. It didn't overstay its welcome, and it ended this feud. So I'm all for it. Um, then we have, afterwards, they hug, the Vikings leave, and the Prophets are jumped by Andrade and Angel Garza until the Viking Raiders return, chase them off, and it looks like we're getting Andrade and Angel Garza challenging for the tag titles in the next program. Yep. And this just kind of wrapped up things with the Viking Raiders, who are... Kind of just, well, we'll see what they do with them next, but they're kind of out of the title picture for now, and it's it's on to Andrade and Garza. Seth Rollins is with Murphy and Austin Theory backstage, and 
Rollins has a message for Mysterio tonight. All will be revealed. And after the break, Rollins is frozen in the same spot. He said he didn't choose to be the Monday Night Messiah, just like Ray didn't choose to be a sacrifice. The difference is he has embraced his role while Ray has been defiant and leads to suffering. And everything that happens to Dominic is all on Ray. Legends never die, but they can outlive their welcome. So we have two legend killers on this show. Well, he's not um, killing this legend, I guess. He's he's actually saying legends never die. So he is he, he literally is not the legend killer, but he is the uh the legend um unwelcomer. Well, they like it, it's almost like um like immortality itself can be a curse, right? You know, it, it like you probably get kind of bored like of living forever. And that's what he's saying. You outlive your welcome. If okay. You're immortal. You know, I, I feel like I've enjoyed Rollins a little bit more during these previous weeks. I think I think it absolutely helps that he's got a great baby face to oppose in Rey Mysterio. And I also feel like he's honed in a bit more on the character. I find it at least, you know, a lot less cringeworthy, his speeches lately. Um, and, I, you know, I, I do have an admiration for how committed he is to playing this character and to try to, like, you know, make it work. And, because I do see improvement. I'm not quite there yet with it. It's um it's there. I wouldn't say it's um I don't know. Yeah, I I'm I'm st- the, the promos really don't do it for me. I'm just not there yet with the promos and this is such a a promo intensive character that's that's needed. Um Charlie was with Charlotte who's coming out of the doctor/trainer's room as it read and her shoulder is taped up. She never postpones matches. No one said it's ballet. Yeah. Ballet is really tough. I always hate this line. Like ballet, it's it gets such a bad rap that it's like uh I don't know, like going fishing or something. Ballet is super intensive. It's very hard. I I could imagine, yeah. I think most people would crumble trying ballet. Well, what what do you think would we should substitute ballet with? Hopscotch, okay? This isn't hopscotch. If there was a professional hopscotch hopscotch league, I I would imagine it would probably be pretty difficult. Um did you ever did you ever do those um in in school um what did they call it like th- those ropes that they'd like that you'd uh go and ju- jumping rope no jump rope you know yeah. what I'm talking about where two people would be at ends and they do like they they'd flip like a jump rope and then you'd go in the middle and jump yeah you ever have these uh yeah jump jump rope yeah and sometimes they'd have two and you'd have to try and I was terrible at these like going in I just like take rope right in the face. Uh no, I never played that. But yeah. is that what you want to replace the? the no, I, I think I, I would. T- hopscotch is fairly easy. I don't think even a, like extreme hopscotch. I, I couldn't imagine it's all that. Like you're you're just jumping in place in, into blocks. Mm, people get competitive, man. Like imagine getting like a UFC fighter to like dedicate themselves to hopscotch. Like the amount of lengths that th- these people would probably go through to win a game of hopscotch. They probably like. I don't know, starve themselves or like, you know, cut crazy amounts of weight just to fit into the weight class category to fit, you know, have an advantage over the, the lighter hopscotchers. Um, How about golf? Like, let's be honest. Golf is like as intense of a game of golf as is possible. At the end of the day, you're getting into a vehicle to go to the next hole. Like there is just a limit to how much 
intensity you can attach to such a game. Um, sure. Yeah, let's say no one's no one said it's golf. Yeah, it's mini putt. Vega is with Andrade and Garza, and Garza starts flirting with Charlie, and then they explain their plan until Vega cuts them off, says they are a united front, and they are going after the tag titles. Mm -hmm. Oscar Charlotte Flair for the Raw Women's title, and this was the one where they, this was presented in amplified audio. Everything was, but especially the matches, yeah. This one was pretty notable. Um, Asuka missed with a drop kick off the apron, crashes to the floor. So Flair's in control after the break. Nia's watching backstage. Flair hit the, after this big striking exchange, she hit this boot. And then for whatever reason, they showed this replay where the camera is in front of Charlotte. So the boot is coming towards the, where the camera angle is. And you just see her like miss Asuka by like a mile and just go to her hand. I don't know why we had to show this replay. She then gets driven into the turnbuckle with her injured shoulder, and Asuka immediately goes to an arm bar. She switches arms to focus on the injured shoulder. Samoa Joe was like just, this is the greatest thing of all time when he realized what she was doing. Flair keeps his her hands it, clasped. It was so nice um, to see that type of thing <laughs> in a wrestling match. And I admit, it does make you wonder the necessity for it. Like Maybe she's used to entering on the non-injured side. And that's why she had to do the transition after. But either way, it was like a nice little kind of nerdy grappling thing that I I loved. And Flair then gets to the rope. She recovers. A figure four is countered with a small package for a two count. Asuka goes right back to the arm bar. Flair lifts her up, slams her out. And then immediately Asuka moves to the Asuka lock. Awesome transition. And Flair is forced to submit at 11 minutes and 48 seconds. Uh, I thought a great match for the time they had. It was unfortunately interrupted with a commercial break, but uh, the longest match on the show, and I, I thought this was, you know, great. Longest match on the show, and I think deservedly show. So, because, oh man, so show. Uh, deservedly so, because I think uh, I had the most anticipation of all the matches for this this particular match, and it turned out awesome. You know, all the matches between these two have been good, and this was no different. Their chemistry, to me, only gets better. It was a very even match, but they certainly do, uh, of course, have the excuse of Charlotte's, you know, shoulder costing her the match. But it continues the very, very strong booking of Asuka during this particular run as champion. She's not just a champion, but a champion who's dominant. She's able to, like, go toe-to-toe with Naya, beats Naya on multiple occasions, does not look weak. So I think that's a, that's a cue they've taken from the Drew McIntyre push, maybe even the Brock Lesnar push. But they're applying it to their full-timers now. In somebody like Asuka, who really they should have been pushing this way from the very beginning, you know, and, and I'm glad to see them continue it. I really love the story, storytelling here with the shoulder. I loved Asuka's submissions targeting the injury, including the uh, Asuka lock at the end. Great match. Yeah, re- really strong stuff here. And then afterwards, Charlie interviews Naya and Naya says it would be a shame for someone to kick the queen while she's down. So she's going hunting for Charlotte. Uh, they promoted uh, this Sunday, the next Broken Skull Sessions. Mark Henry will be on. And then they recap the Orton angle with Christian from last week. And we go into a dark warehouse. Edge's dark warehouse with his ring that the WWE sent him. And Edge cuts this promo. He says that Randy 
won at Backlash, but I don't think you lived up to your billing as the better natural wrestler. And we should note that Edge has his whole right arm taped up here from his tricep surgery. He said that Randy hit an RKO and tore his triceps off the bone, but I kicked out and I kept fighting. And you felt the panic when I almost caught you with the anti-venom. And then you coincidentally hit me with a low blow. And Orton can brag all he wants about beating Edge because that is so important to Orton. But for Edge, I expected to beat you. And I'm disappointed that I didn't low blow you first. I couldn't pick up my daughters on Father's Day. And I've got to wake up. And you've been able to wake up a side of me that's been dormant for too long. You goaded Christian when you knew he wasn't medically cleared. My best friend of 36 years who's walked through every trial and tribulation of my life. You put the PG superstar to bed. And at that moment, I am so glad we did not have even a a mini t-shirt run of the PG superstar that they had to market. The PG superstar. Yeah. Uh, Doesn't have quite the ring to it. No. But he has awoken that side of him that will go to any depth He doesn't care about winning a wrestling match. He wants to embarrass Randy and make Cowboy Bob or wish that Cowboy Bob was firing blanks on the night he was conceived. He wants to send Randy home so that his children ask, Dad, are you okay? Because you won't be. And you're going to be screaming louder than all the voices in your head. I'm going to seep into every part of your life and tear you down brick by brick. You have no idea what you've done. You woke up the evil. You woke up the rated R superstar. Get some sleep while you can, Randy. You big bitch. This was awesome. This was a phenomenal promo. I thought it was really good. Yeah. Um, I I personally feel, for my taste, like maybe it's just me and how I feel about Edge's per- promo style in particular. I do feel like he borders on perhaps the long and indulgent side of things from time to time, and maybe even the overdramatic side from time to time. I've kind of felt this way about maybe his last two big promos on the show, uh, but if we're going to compare it to your typical promo on an edition, edition of Raw, it was really good. Well thought out rebuttals to Orton's line, some really good deep cut lines like the Cowboy Bob Orton one, and it sets up the return of the Rated R Superstar. I thought this was great. I thought this was really, really solid stuff. Um no indication of, you know, a timeline that this guy's going to be out for, but it's probably going to be a while. So this is, I guess, I, I don't know how much of Edge we're, we're going to see because there isn't a whole lot. Like, you can't do this every week. You can't even do this every couple of weeks. It's going to be quite the while before we see him again. But I kind of like the idea uh, as well of this being the last time we see Edge where he's like all clean shaven, but he's promising to come back like this dark brooding figure. And he comes back and he's like transformed. And he's just like, just a, a psych, a psychopath when he comes back. Sure, yeah. Do you, you know, I, I, I depending on how long it takes him, mm, like I, it, I, I it could wonder. be like early next year. Like he could be out yeah. that long. It's possible. I, I do. I wonder if the momentum of this promo will still be there several months from from now. But the timing was certainly right to like you know issue a rebuttal like this because if you don't do it now, um, people will really forget. You imagine if the timing worked out that he returns at the Royal Rumble. Uh, one year later. 
I'm sure that could be possible. And if it's even close, why not just delay it? Yeah. Uh, what are your thoughts on like continuing this? Like, obviously they're going to do a third match. Are you kind of at like edge Orton fatigue by this point after these two matches? Or do you think that by the time they can actually cash in on this, it's going to be so far removed that it's uh, less of an issue or is this hot enough that it sustains? If the last match sucked and was far from the greatest match ever, I mean, it still might be far from the greatest match ever, but it was a really good match. And and overwhelmingly, I would say met with positivity and uh, praise. So I would say it's coming off of the feud and coming off of the match, the program is hot and definitely warrants a third match. Uh, hopefully next time in front of an actual crowd, which I think is, is you know, still that elusive big moment that Edge has been clamoring for this entire time. So I definitely think one more match to blow this thing out, uh, up and then um, we can uh, move on to Edge and some other opponents. Yeah, maybe they can market the third one, the longest match ever. The longest match ever. Okay, well, they're going to have to uh, hook. wrestle for quite a while because didn't Cassius Ono have like a 20-several-hour uh, match for charity? They can be, yeah, that can be your big plug for the network. Well, I don't know if I'll be sticking around for that, but okay. I mean, Hero got new opponents. I mean, these two would have to go the, the whole gamut alone. So hmm. many, many months to plan this one out. They cut to Orton, who's reacting to this. And he tells Charlie, Charlie was super busy on this show. She had to do like 5,000 interviews. Sarah only did like one. So I know. It's pretty like Sarah's got to carry a bit more here. Yeah, she might have been like doing the dot com stuff. So Orton says that when a snake is threatened, it will bite and strike wildly. It will defend its clutch of eggs to survive and will do what he must to defend his family he hopes that Edge and Christian reach a full recovery and can live happy and long lives as long as they do it far away from me. Charlie, I have to go speak with Ric Flair. This is almost one of those like, yeah, 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 he says a lot. Now I got to stop bothering me, Charlie. Like, I've got other things to worry about. I would just love like um, like a, a, a UFC fight and we go cage side or something and we get an interview, you know. Steve Miocic is fighting Daniel Cormier in August and they interview him and he just like likens himself to an animal and what an animal does when it's being hunted and giving this exact promo and what the reaction would be like if Steve Miocic believed he was a real life snake. Yeah. Flair is busy icing her shoulder when Nia sends her into a post, this is in their new uh, the warehouse uh, area that they're they're shooting all these scenes in, and then takes this uh, this container and slams the door onto Charlotte's shoulder, and this appeared to be the injury angle to take Charlotte out. Well, this is how I know Char- Charlie is spread too thin because this one's on you, Charlie. Nia told you she was going to attack Charlotte. And you find Charlotte first, and you don't warn her about this. In fact, great point. Char- Charlie caused the distraction. So to me, Charlie Caruso among the biggest heels on this show. Yeah, maybe a hint. You couldn't have texted Charlotte like, "Hey, heads up." Text her. She was talking right to her. Hey, by the way, before I talk to you, you should know Nia is looking for you right now. <laughs> Didn't do that. Yeah, you're right. You're right. So, um, the ninjas are in the ring with Akira Tozawa, and. It's supposed to be R-Truth and Tozawa, but before the match can begin, Lashley comes out with MVP, attacks the ninjas, and then puts the full Nelson on R-Truth and just leaves him laying there. 
Lashley contemplates going for the 24-7 title, but he already realizes, I've fallen out of the title picture. I don't want to fall this far, far down. So he leaves it for Tozawa, who is hidden, to come in and pin R-Truth to become the new 24-7 champion. I would really love it if like they could come up with some explanation for why your upper-tier wrestlers aren't going for the 24-7 title. Like, well, what would motivate somebody, first of all, to go for any title? You would assume, like, more money, like, maybe, a, like, an increase in bonus, maybe even, like, a chance to renegotiate a contract. But these are obviously things that the 24-7 title does not come with. Otherwise, every, all wrestlers would be going for it, right? So what do you get when you hold the 24-7 title? Nothing. You gotta, you gotta defend this title all week long. I mean, it's like you just break down, like, your salary versus the number of hours that people can come at you at any point during the week. Maybe it's like a really small raise. Like maybe we're talking like, you know, you get like $5 more a day. <laughs> and to somebody like Bobby Lashley, that's nothing. But to Tazawa, I mean, it might be a lot. This is a total non sequitur. Did you see that UFC 251 promo? No. Oh, my God. I almost want to I almost want you to watch it just for your reaction. It is perhaps the most unbelievable thing UFC has ever created. Like it's just Okay. I'll watch it. Now. It, if ever there was a video where UFC was screaming for John Oliver to cover them, this is it. It's in my update today. Um let me just see this. Okay. Is this a can't hold us down? Yeah. You don't have to watch the whole thing. It's like two minutes, but let's All let's right. just get through the first like Okay. 45 seconds. Oh, shit. Wait till the music hits. I'm done. I'm done. Okay. Oh, fuck this. Dude, it's the most amazing thing. Oh. Like, how <laughs> could you imagine being Dana White and watching that thing with a straight face? Be like, yeah, approved. <laughs> Let's oh, he probably directed it. Oh, he probably. My God. What, whatever. I mean, they've got, they've got their agenda. Um, it certainly is a way to promote a fight that I think is uh, very unique. And um, it's a statement. It's a statement. Dana White. <laughs> Don't tell me to wear a mask. Uh, Sarah Schreiber was with Natalia, and she says that Flair's arm looks so bad, and the division needs her leadership. They should have booked a match for her, and tells Sarah that they are out of time. And oh, sorry, not booked a match. You should have booked the interview with me, and tells Sarah that they're out of time, and you're gonna have to wait for my news. I don't know what this news was. Yeah, she never gave it. Uh, she came out with a match with Liv Morgan, and we had Lana ringside. Uh, Morgan did a head scissors on the floor. Then Lana distracted her, so Natalia attacked her leg and won with the sharpshooter in two minutes and then left with Lana. So Natalia's aligned with Lana, and Liv Morgan's in a losing, on a losing streak. 
you know, uh, it's a it's a new push for Natty this time again as a heel. But I would say with a slightly different character and a slightly different voice this time, she's basically, you know, somebody who's kind of full of herself and somebody who complained. So uh, we shall see how like she lines up with Lana, you know, seeing like um, female managers in the division are, is kind of unusual in the women's division. So. Uh, but uh, you know these two, uh, I uh, I believe they're very good friends. So um, hopefully they can come up with something creative that works. And I, I I did not see any like indication that Lana and Lashley or MVP is is going to continue on the show. That felt completely dropped. Like the Lashley stuff was the most abrupt changes um, that we saw tonight. Mm-hmm. And yeah, Lana seems she's totally on her own now. So it's a divorce that's happening off screen. Oh yeah. Yeah, they they talked about the whole divorce thing, and that was totally dropped this week. I completely forgot about that line. It must have been a quick divorce. Maybe, maybe, maybe it was a dot com exclusive. Yeah, you would think like they would at least milk a divorce segment for an episode. Uh, I suppose so, but with no match to go to, like it's not like they're you know you could build up to Apollo through Lana or anything. Charlie is with the Big Show. And <laughs> talks to the Big Show about his memorable return last week, fighting off ninjas. He had just come by to say hi to some old friends and decided to do so in his gear. <laughs> and then said, I introduced them to my right hand. Get it? My right hand. And then, I swear to God, said, where else are you going to get this kind of humor other than WWE? And behind this fun exterior is an angry, heartless giant. And somehow in all this, he also plugged his Netflix series. So, man, did he uh, He got a lot across here in these uh, three minutes. Yep. Yes, he did. Ric Flair came out. And this is where he started it, cutting a promo that when his daughter comes back, Nia Jax is going to be in trouble. And it does sound like Charlotte is going to be... Uh, away for at least some time. Uh, that's what it seems like. And then he just completely changed course. It was kind of weird. It was like he's cutting this promo on behalf of Charlotte, and then he flipped the switch to now be uh, Orton's advocate. So he starts kicking away to demonstrate how Orton punted Edge and Christian back into retirement. And he, Orton, is the greatest of all time and he wants to tell the millions of people watching this fact. Orton comes out, and Flair proceeds to call him the greatest performer in the history of the WWE. And he is honored to be here with Randy. Randy talks about evolution and nostalgia, and how it was nostalgic when Flair showed that he was the dirtiest player in the game last week. But being the legend killer isn't nostalgia, it's just cementing his legacy. And he starts talking about the voices in my head agreeing with me, myself, and I. Mm -hmm. Big Show interrupts. He's not going to let Flair glorify what Orton did. Edge and Christian are his friends, and Orton is a narcissistic parasite. Orton then latches onto competitors that make him better. But Orton, you lack motivation to make yourself better. You get what you want. And then you leave the host to die. Edge isn't done. And when he comes back, uh, he said Big Show, first of all, is going to break every bone in Randy's body. 
And Randy proceeds to tell him that we've been friends for 20 years. You took me under your wing. I respect you, Big Show. You're a future Hall of Famer. Some might even say you're a legend. And it would be tragic for you to suffer the same fate as Edge and Christian. And Show makes the challenge, but Orton exits the ring. He's focused. He's motivated. And what happens next is on Big Show as he leaves with Ric Flair. And this feels like it's going to be the uh, Extreme Rules match for Randy. Uh, head it punt does. in the yeah head punt match. Well, we knew this legend killer gimmick was going to continue, but I think you know you and I both had trouble thinking about who that legend was going to be. Certainly, the Big Show did not come to either of our minds. And if you told me last week, I would definitely say if you're going to follow like Edge and Orton with Edge or sorry Orton and Big Show, I would definitely be disappointed. I think there are plenty of people that will probably still be disappointed at at the prospect of this match. But after seeing a segment like this. I'm actually looking forward to it. I think what you've unearthed, like following this Edge program, is a Randy Orton who really feels like he is in his prime, promo-wise, as a performer and as a character. And I would say, like, rather than just thinking about what great in-ring talents you can put in, put him in with next for this B-level pay-per-view, I, I think the desire in this case is, first of all, to carry on the Legend Killer thing, but also to see him in there with other guys who are really good on the microphone. And not to say Big Show is necessarily that person, but I think you see Big Show here and he's he's improved from where he was before. And certainly on this current roster, I don't know how many other candidates you really have to find people that might be able to match a Randy Orton in terms of stature and also on the microphone. So it's a program that I think will, will really, you know, test how, how far Big Show may have come as a promo and as an actor in that time since he's been uh, a regular performer on this roster. But I thought the segment was a really good, promising start. Yeah, I think it's fine just to get through July. I kind of hope that they make some kind of allegiance between Big Show and Drew McIntyre, just assuming that's where they're going with Randy for SummerSlam, that there is um, some kind of connection between – this should end with Big Show taking the punt and then Randy on to Drew. Like that should be the big match to me for, for SummerSlam unless they have some – a bigger idea for Randy Orton. But to me, that feels like the big match you should be building to. And it'd be cool if they could make some kind of connection. So there's a, there's a logic behind Drew wanting to seek revenge and having like that issue already set up by the time you do this with Big Show and then make the natural progression to the Drew feud. Yes, that's right. Um, do you think Flair stays around? It feels like at least through, through this pay-per-view, it, feels like they're going to have flair around like to me if if they weren't they would have done something to kind of uh get rid of flair here but this they really seem to be pairing him with, with randy which i like the combination um i would love it a lot more if there wasn't a pandemic going on i do too um you know if flair's gonna stick around i just hope they take all the precautions to ensure that he's safe and uh because you do wonder how necessary he is with this version of Randy Orton who can... Certainly... Oh, he's not He's not necessary at all, well, given the, the circumstances. It's cool that he's there, but not necessary. So it just makes me wonder why he's even there, other than perhaps, like, you know, the visual cue to let you think that this was evolution-era Randy Orton. So Bailey and Sasha Banks versus the Iconics for the women's tag titles. The bell rings immediately the Shades of K is hit by Billy and immediately she goes to the pin and cut catches Tom off guard. Who's busy plugging the Sonic cookie batter special. Mm-hmm. 
had to change gears quick here. This was, again, a match where it was, you know, kind of booked like the other tag title match where it was just go, 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 and no chance to ever let the non-existent audience uh, die or get, fall out of the match. Like, it was just a really fast-paced, booked match. Uh, Bailey attacked Royce on the floor, and then Kay held Bailey for a knee strike uh, to, from Peyton Royce to set up the commercial break. We come back. Peyton Royce did this bridging fisherman suplex onto Bailey with Banks making the save. They're double-teaming on Royce, and then Sasha goes for the three amigos, um, maybe watching some Ryusuke Taguchi. And Royce then runs Banks into Bailey on the apron. Banks then kicked off uh, Billy Kay to avoid the Iconics finisher. And then after kicking off of Kay, swung Peyton Royce around into the bank statement for the submission at 646. I would say that this was, uh, this was good. Yeah. Very, again, very fast moving match, good energetic pace. It was short, but I was entertained for its entirety. And this was where I really did notice like the pace of the show was moving fast. And certainly again, People are going to complain perhaps about a title match like this being short. And I do feel like the Iconics, you know, I do kind of feel for them because they definitely have shown some improvement, but didn't really get a chance to showcase it here. But then again, I I, I really feel like the, the idea is not necessarily to make sure that they, you know, you're rating these as highly rated star um, getting matches, but more so to make sure that you don't switch the channel on a three hour show. And certainly in the third hour for this tag match, I'd rather something like this than something that dragged. Yeah. I mean, this, you know, with the commercial break in there, the actual wrestling here was probably around three minutes, but I, I thought this was fine. And I, I like the transition to the finish off uh, Banks kicking off of Billy and then this swings into the uh, bank statement. So afterwards, Bailey and Sasha are in the ring. And Banks says that she's been thinking when she's called the boss and Bailey, Bailey dose straps. And she's getting a little jealous that Bailey has two titles. And Bailey, I love seeing you happy. I want to experience that as well. I want a title match. And Bailey has this look of confusion. And Sasha says at Extreme Rules, I'm officially challenging Asuka for the Raw Women's title. This was awesome. I love this. Really well done. Yeah, really oh, well done. it was great. Like, you had the sense where it was going, but it was delivered so well. Mm -hmm. uh, this is great. I think this has been – the pacing of this program between these two, I think has been really, like, well thought out. Oh, man. They definitely had a long time to stretch for something like this. And uh, they they managed to do it pretty well because certainly they, they'll be able to get past Extreme Rules. And then it's SummerSlam, and it's up to them if they want to do the match then um, or – Drag it out even further. But uh, if the goal is to peak at SummerSlam, they're on good pace. Asuka walks out. She tells Sasha that she is not the boss of her, accepts the match, and then Bailey jumps her. They double-team her, and the backstabber is hit, and she puts Asuka in the bank statement. So it's going to be Asuka and Sasha Banks at Extreme Rules. And You know, I'm not sure how any of that makes sense with like Sasha being it doesn't. a SmackDown person, but who cares? doesn't really matter at this point uh i listen the raw side is like like if in fact charlotte is taking some time off and becky's gone indefinitely like like the raw side at this point i mean of they're course john it's it's totally fine it's just like don't don't come at me with like your trades and all that 
what is it? Um, four time, four times a year. Trait? I mean, they also had that in their back pocket that they could have used that as an explanation for this. It's fine. Like the the, the tag titles are just <laughs> like a magic portal. It's like yeah. uh, having like a you know, like an infinity stone, and you can just travel be between dimensions and challenge for any belt that you want. Sure, whatever. I I I think this match might be the one I'm looking forward to the most right now of all the matches on that card. Like, mm-hmm. I, yeah. I, well, there's only two. Well, I mean, Braun versus Bray, like you could tell the rest of the show coming together, Drew versus, you know, Dolph. But I put this one, as far as the title matches go, I put this one above those. You know, I certainly put this one above Drew versus Dolph. I put this one above Braun versus Bray myself. Mm-hmm. So I could definitely see this one main eventing if they want it that way, uh, unless they do something even bigger than that. Well, you, they are doing Drew and Dolph, so. Yeah. I mean, what, what, what gets bigger? Lashley MVP are in the back, and Lashley is asked, were you trying to make a statement to the Raw locker room by attacking R-Truth? And Lashley says the reason he's not WWE champion is because of R-Truth, and he referred to them as the Hurt Business, which was just one of those very obvious WWE, uh, this is our name, signals. The Hurt Business. The Hurt Business. Okay. MVP is still trying to recruit Apollo Crews, who doesn't get the business side of being a champion, because he's given Shelton Benjamin another match this week. And if Crews makes the wrong decision, well, that's on him. Liv is in the warehouse area, and Ruby Riot, remember her? She walks up, and Liv says, Nothing is going my way, and I don't need you to make me feel any worse than I already do. I don't have all the answers. I'm just trying to figure it out. And one day I'm going to. Because, you know, my mom told me so. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, it looks like they're pairing these two back up. They're just doing the snap, and we're just, like, retroactively going back to two-thirds of the Riot Squad. I mean, I think it tells you how much they botched that whole program between these two. Really, like, by the time... You know, you put Ruby and Liv back together to feud. Uh, it should have been something bigger. And certainly the, the, the matches and the angles should have been a bit more substantial than what they did. Um, but at this point, it's like, what do either of these two have going on? Not much right now. So why not pair them back up? They could challenge for the tag team titles. They yep. might they could feud with Natty and Natalia if they wanted to. Uh, so I'm in favor of the decision. It gets these two on TV at least. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, you know, I've I've enjoyed Liv's stuff this year. It feels like she has been just like all these ideas that have been thrown out. It just seems like she has just been bounced all over the place on Raw, and it's probably been frustrating. But you know, I I think she has shown improvements, and you hope she gets something out of this. The VIP Lounge featured Apollo Cruz coming out. And MVP explained that he was impressed when Cruz beat him to qualify for the Money in the Bank match, but then he recklessly injured his knee to lose out on the match. MVP has made mistakes. He can teach Apollo, who still turns down MVP. Cruz asks if MVP is going to try and take his title. And I've dealt with people like you my whole life. I'm not going to let this title change me. Which was kind of strange because that was the whole story last week, wasn't it? That Cruz was going to take his shortcut in order to keep this title. Hmm. MVP says, I tried twice to ask nicely. I won't ask a third time. 
and the U.S. title is going to come home to where it belongs. Shelton Benjamin comes out, and then MVP distracts Cruz, and Shelton jumps him and sends his shoulder into the post, which seemed a little redundant on shoulder injuries on this show. Uh, I mean, it's just right there. How can you resist? You know, the post. Can you, like, throw his, uh, uh, go after his hamstring? Hmm. Wreck his, wreck his leg. Do that. Yeah, sure. I, a good interaction between these two. MVP, of course, is, is becoming really an MVP of the show. And Apollo has really come out of his shell as a personality. He, to me, not only sounds like genuine, he sounds like a genuine baby face, which I think is certainly a tougher task than playing any sort of heel. So they definitely have something with Apollo. And I'm I'm pleased to see that, you know, despite the changeover in, in a leadership, seems like he's still getting a storyline. He's still a featured act. Yeah, I, w- I would say certainly. Yeah, no, no sign of um, slowing down on Apollo at all. So they had a, a very brief match with him and Shelton, where it was largely built around Cruz working with the injured shoulder. Uh, he went for a standing moonsault, and Benjamin caught him with the armbar, and then Cruz escaped, uh, clotheslined them both to the floor. Cruz then rallied and won with the toss power bomb in two minutes and ten seconds. Very quick match. Like this was probably the like the quickest one of of them all. It felt like I did want to see a bit more of this one, but I did see it last week too. So my interest for it wasn't necessarily that high. Uh, but then again, you know, storytelling at this point is priority, especially this deep into into Raw. Does did the segment have a point to it? Yes, it did. Was there a bigger feud coming out of this? Yes, it did. So again, an alternative to this thing like, dragging late into the show to me that would be worse. MVP applauds him. Cruz tells him, get your hands off me, and then Lashley runs out, attacks him by applying the full Nelson, and that looks to be our U.S. title program, Apollo Cruz and Bobby Lashley. Mm-hmm. I like it. Ray and Dominic are backstage, and then they plugged uh, the Royal Rumble 2008 airing on FS1 tomorrow night, so they'll still be airing those old pay-per-views, just no backstage uh, tomorrow night. Ray and Dominic come out for the final segment. Ray's got his mask on with his eye patched, and he says, it's time for some straight talk, son. I couldn't get a hold of my son last Monday, and he talks about how scary a situation that is. It scared the hell out of Ray. Rollins tried to blind me, but I've learned to accept that. And Dominic, you're bigger than me, but I'm still your old man, and you will always be my child. And now it's time for me to fight for you. I've got to get revenge, but do it by myself. Dominic says, I'm not going anywhere. And Dominic looks into the camera. This is what a family looks like. And this family wants a fight. So Seth walks out and he, ex- he explains how these decisions are not up to him. It's fate and destiny. And two eyes are better than one. And as he's walking down the ramp... This was almost like either a coincidence or just, I thought, an incredible distraction or attention to detail because Dominic positioned himself right behind Ray, that you're just waiting for Dominic to pounce on his dad. But instead, it was Dominic just getting in position. Murphy and Austin Theory come out, and it's a big fight, leading to Aleister Black and Umberto Carrillo running down. Dominic is attacking Murphy. Black and Carrillo come in. There's a dive onto Theory and Murphy. And then Rollins is begging off. 
He gets hit with a 619, and it's four-on-one against Rollins. And they drag him to the steps. They're going to destroy this man's eye. But then Murphy and Theory make the save, and they end up beating down Black and Carrillo, and they hold Ray as Rollins is going to stab Dom's eye into the edge of the stairs. And right before he can, Black and Carrillo return, fight off Rollins, and that's how the show ends with Dominic and Ray, father and son, paired with Aleister Black and Umberto Carrillo. I like the segment. You know, really good tension building here. I think Ray and Rollins has been pretty have been pretty good together in this program, but bringing Aleister Black and Humberto Carrillo into this helps drag drag things out until SummerSlam, and again, like gives those two in particular something to do. I really like the device of like you know using the stairs now as uh, a way of like almost creating like a standoff in a movie scene with guns. And just the, the, the evil thing of like making Rey Mysterio watch as Rollins is about to drive Dominic's eye into the stairs. I really enjoyed it. So I thought it was a great segment. What do you think this sets up at Extreme Rules? I mean, you know, the six man, of course, is there, but you could uh, do that on TV. It doesn't necessarily feel like it's big enough for a pay-per-view, um, but I don't know if they'll get to Rey versus... Uh, what is it? Um, Rollins just yet. That feels like it's almost too quick to go to considering the severity of this, this eye injury and the big show, like, excuse me, like the, like a bigger pay-per-view happening, uh, just a month after this. So I I wonder if you could do like Ray wants the revenge, but he's told by the doctors, you're not cleared. You can't fight. And against his dad's wishes, Dominic enters the six man. And that's a way you can hide Dominic. And just keep him to a limited role in that six man and do some angle coming out of that that gets you to Rollins and Ray as your SummerSlam destination. For sure. Yeah. It definitely looks like Dominic is uh, going to do a whole lot more in ring coming up. And then Dominic turns on dad and says, listen, pops, you once put my custody on the line and hung it above a ring. (laughs) So I've been plotting this for 15 years. They've got that plot point dangling certainly yes so many ways you can go in this good angle to end the show i I thought a really enjoyable episode of raw i thought this was um i i enjoyed it quite a lot like one of the better raw episodes of recent memory i thought the pacing was great um good very good match involving oscar and charlotte and you seem to see like the ones that you know they they have like clear storyline directions for all the key players and it's it's building nicely um You've got a lot of work to do to me with Drew and Dolph. That one is starting at at negative five for me. So you really have to work overtime to build that match up because it feels very cold for a pay-per-view title match, as does Braun and Bray Wyatt. I would say the two championship matches on both shows, not exactly the most compelling programs at the moment. Yeah, it really feels like they're in a case of like really holding back until they get to like their main pay-per-views in a SummerSlam before they really give you their big matchups. Because right now it just feels like in both cases they're they're really digging at the like bottom of the barrel, you know, for opponents for both guys. So I agree there. But I I thought otherwise good build for this pay per view. Still continued development for guys like Apollo, Garza, Andrade. Here even like you know Liv and Ruby getting something now. Um, it you know Big Show and Orton is not going to be for everybody, and certainly in ring they have their work cut out for them. 
uh, unless like you know booking and like the layout really steps up. But promo wise, I'm kind of interested. So we shall see. We shall see. Uh, it's a, it was a good three hour program. You know, two weeks in, I'm I'm I've been enjoying the Pritchard era. All right, let's go to forum.postwrestling.com and see what everyone had to say. Do you think this gets a? I'm going to say six out of ten, higher or lower. I'm going to say lower. Our our audience does not like. I mean, Raw has done a lot of damage, and you got to earn their trust. You got to build yeah. it back up. It's not going to happen overnight. A five point two nine. You nailed it, way. Yeah. All right. Let's uh, let's have our forum uh, excoriate this Raw. Paul from New Jersey. First, before anything else. Natty has really poor time management skills as it pertains to interviews. I don't know about you guys, but this show seemed like a March and a half. Not terribly interested in Ziggler McIntyre or Charlotte Naya. However, both did tell solid stories, so I have to give them that. Perhaps an irrational thought, but after everything that has come out the past few days, I really didn't need to see Angel try to mack it to Charlie. Just fast forward anything Seth Rollins. I just can't stand him as this character. Little, like little Ralph Wiggum. You could pinpoint the exact moment my heart broke when the Iconics lost in weird fashion. What the hell was that? Happy birthday to Billy Kay. Well, happy birthday. We got Andrew from Cape Breton who says, Raw was okay tonight. Any bad on Raw, I think I can put into perspective. As much as I hate the Akira Tozawa gimmick, it's probably the 60th worst thing to happen in pro wrestling this week. So in reality, it was fine. I'll be more positive. There are some good things going on with Raw. The Orton Edge feud and all the moving parts attached to it are great. The build between Bailey and Sasha is great. I like WWE reestablishing Lana as a manager and the return of managers in general. I hope somebody like Malcolm Bivens gets the call to start recruiting guys too. The stuff with Rollins and Mysterio is also pretty good. And I can see Rollins bringing in another person to help him, even the odds, if Dominic sticks around. Okay, we go to Eric from Miami. Not excited about Dolph getting a title shot. Uh... The twi- the WrestleVotes Twitter account put up a screenshot of Orton versus Big Show at Extreme Rules 2013. That show had four future AEW talents in Cody, Jericho, Moxley, and Hager. You could see the Sasha callout coming, but I thought she was effective. The Edge promo was good, the first part of it, but it just kept going. Adam from the street says, Tonight we learn Edge and Christian's friendship is as old as John and Way. This feud, that cowboy Bob line was gross. In my head, he's home watching Raw with the cast still on. Never have consistently great promos made me not want to see a match. I'm done with these two. So often on Edge and Christian's podcast, they talked about who they wanted to face if they ever got the chance to come back. I understand wanting to be with somebody who they feel safe with, even though Edge got hurt anyway, although it was probably nobody's fault. But whenever Edge comes back, it's time to take the training wheels off. I'd rather see DS McGregor 3 before Edge and Orton 2020 Part 3. MVP and Lashley together are gold, on the other hand, and Sasha Asuka sounds fresh and exciting. The tag team champs both having dose straps would be cool. Do you guys think they go that way, or does Bailey cost Sasha, leading to them facing off at SummerSlam for the title? I don't see Sasha winning the title. Not now. No. With with how strong they've been keeping Asuka and like the, the problems that would arise if you had all those belts you know, iced, it's not worth sacrificing Asuka's title run and really suspending that entire division. For SummerSlam, just so that you can promote this, you know, Sasha Bailey breakup. So you can probably get there without that. And last one is Nick from Lansing. I want to see if I have this right. Seth blinding Ray is bad, but Ray, Dominic, and everyone else trying to blind Seth is okay because eye for an eye. So I that guess works. it's yeah, like it's revenge. Yeah, that's what happens. 
So I guess it's still bad that Seth almost blinded Dominic because he did lose his to make it eye for an eye for an eye. Confusing, but I guess everyone's moral alignments are where they need to be. Thanks for all the incredible work that's proven to be as much of a distraction as anything. And and huge, huge shout out to all the women and men speaking out to make wrestling a better industry. Yes. Listen, if you had wrestlers all of a sudden becoming pacifists and saying, you know what? You hurt me, but I'm just going to brush it off. I'm going to be the better man. Revenge I'm turning, is I'm turning my other cheek. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you would not have pro wrestling. Yeah. <laughs> Coming up, it's the greatest sit-down discussion ever between Edge and Randy Orton. Let's talk it out. Yes. Let's air out our grievances. Mm-hmm. Let's meet. <laughs> it's WWE presents Common Ground <laughs> on the WWE Network. Common Ground. Wow. The greatest conversation ever. <laughs> the greatest resolutions ever. Yeah. Yes. Um, all right. From uh, burying the hatchets, we go to the last ride. The last, last ride. Episode five, Revelation. The Undertaker's Revelation way. Mm-hmm. So the episode, we're coming off of Extreme Rules. Mark Calloway is on an extreme high. He is He is so... Amped after this Extreme Rules match, he goes to Hawaii for two weeks. That's how happy the man is. He's done. He's ready to call it a career at this point. Michelle McCool is skeptical. Hunter doesn't even buy it for a second. And all of a sudden, like, hey, Taker, we need you at Madison Square Garden in September. All right. <laughs> and that is kind of the, the theme of this, is that Undertaker Undertaker's retirement is as good as his cell phone battery allows it to be. Pretty much, yeah. Um, honestly, like it's illuminated to me how much well, I guess he he really um, plays sort of like the loyal soldier in 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 this entire documentary. It's something I I didn't necessarily fully kind of grasp prior to it, but the man seems incredibly loyal to Vince. But part of me also wonders: is it just an excuse so that he can jump back in there? Um. An, an excuse for who? For for Undertaker? Yeah. 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 Um, you know, they spend a lot of it um, here talking about, like, the whole process of transitioning out of wrestling. You know, Steve Austin talks about, you know, trying to be able to find those same highs outside of the business. It can take a while. And they, they talk about um, – I thought some of the most interesting stuff in this episode was Taker talking about – his dad and his dad not really getting pro wrestling at all and like really confused that his son wanted to give up basketball for this, but in the end was really proud of him. And they showed a photo of the two of them. I think any dad presented with that scenario, you know, your son has a scholarship for basketball, a sport that you've, you've heard of and probably watch. And then they're deciding to leave that to pursue the very, very risky, um, I don't even know if you could really call it like a profession at that point of professional wrestling. Yeah, it seems perfectly normal. So after talking about like his dad for for a portion here, um, we go into like this this period where he doesn't know if he's going to wrestle again. He does the uh, the Austin interview on the network, and this apparently is where AJ got the idea that okay, he's looking to do one or two final matches. So AJ took it upon himself to just pitch the idea to Taker. And we learn here that um, the two families actually know each other. Michelle McCool explains how, like, 
uh, a close friend of AJ's. They go on vacations together, so they know AJ. And when this idea is presented, Taker like runs it by Michelle McCool, and she's like, "Well, that sounds like a great idea." And Taker's like, "That's not the answer I'm looking for here." It's like he's trying to get himself out of this industry. He's got one foot out, and this is like Big Show last week when when he comes in and Christian is like. Well, what do you think I should do? Well, if it was someone talking like that to me, I'd I'd pound the shit out of this guy. It's like cool. That's that's not exactly the uh the answer he was probably looking for. But here Taker is basically being sent right back in there. I mean, it could be that she knows he will want to come back either way and especially if it's a bad match or if it's a match against an opponent that might not necessarily keep him safe. That's probably worse. Maybe she feels like this is the best chance he has a way of getting out. So we see Undertaker go into the Performance Center in January, and they had uh, released this clip earlier in the week, and it's him kind of mentoring a lot of like the big men that are down there in the PC. We see like Keith Lee, uh, Bronson Reed. They start working out the next day, and this is Taker kind of assessing where his body's at. And to absolutely nobody's surprise, uh, even speaking now, but even at the time, he feels he can do the match. So he is on board to wrestle AJ at WrestleMania. And they also do a little bit of a portion here on Randy Orton talking about working with Undertaker back in 2002 and just others like Bray Wyatt and Jeff Hardy talking about Taker as the locker room leader who has helped a lot of guys along the way. And when Taker has agreed to do this match with AJ, they decide to to fuck with this guy by having Vince call AJ saying, Taker's going to come back, but he's going to be working with this other guy from Tennessee. And AJ's response is, oh, bullcrap, man. Bullcrap. <laughs> Did you hear what happened with Mixer today? No. What happened? Mixer's done. Oh, really? Yeah. This is huge news for the gaming community. Um, at least that's what it sounds like. But that's where my mind instantly went was AJ's outlet and what how this affects that. So um, they're teaming up with Facebook, it looks like, for their yeah, going to Yeah, it's going to be rebranded as something. But like Mixer itself is, I guess, being like uh, amalgamating itself with whatever Facebook's gaming platform is. Okay. Sounds right. like they're taking like two platforms and just merging them into one. So um, please, please alert me if I have this wrong. Um, so with the they 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 wise up AJ that Taker's going to do the match with him, and they go through Super Showdown, which is uh, Undertaker returning to uh, Saudi Arabia, the the country that has had absolutely no success with this man's uh, track record. This was maybe the least. Uh, the least risky of the appearances because yeah. he just had to do a run-in with AJ and pretty much a spot. So no disasters occurred this time. Mm -hmm. And then it's into the promos. And this is where we're still in front of crowds. They showed the highlights of the, the, the one AJ promo where he went after Michelle McCool and you got Michelle responding to this. Like she was like, Acknowledging it was a great promo, but getting under her skin as well, which she notes made it an effective promo. And 
calling him out as Mark Calloway. And they explain how this was sort of like a version of all the different versions of The Undertaker, including Mark Calloway himself, that they're presenting for this WrestleMania match. Like it's Mark Calloway going against Alan Jones, as Mark Calloway called him by name the following week. So, you know, that that sort of concept of like, um, I guess, you know, um, like the faces of Foley type of thing is is really interesting because how would they have managed to achieve it if it was in a live setting? The way we saw the match eventually play out, of course, was pre-taped. You know, you would take her, show up as the American badass, and then it's kind of in the middle transition into, like, the, the phenom. But how would they have done that in a live setting, I wonder? Um, Yeah, I mean, by this point, yeah, they had kind of... Like they like this was most probably most closely associated to kind of like the the American badass character, which was essentially Mark Calloway was the way they presented it. But it was um, but with a motorcycle, right? So then all the COVID nineteen stuff hits, uh, which <laughs> Mark Calloway's description of COVID nineteen is just so bizarre. That was it, and. We go into all of the changes, and one of them is to take this match out of the Performance Center, and that's where they come up with the Boneyard match, which Paul Levesque is pretty much saying, what the hell's a Boneyard match? And he wasn't even given much of an answer. But, of course, there were cameras on hand to shoot all of this stuff, and we're seeing you know, Paul Levesque and Michael Hayes, who are kind of presented as, you know, two of the key contributors to the uh, production of the Boneyard match. Uh, we also see a lot of shots of Jeremy Borash on set with them. And they found a plot of land about 45 minutes away from the PC that it was quite something to see what they had to work with and what they were able to transform. And that is where this company really shines and what they were able to use. But I can imagine, like at first glance, where you pull up to this and just... What the hell are we going to do here? Got to turn it into a boneyard. Um, yeah, they they did a good job overnight. So as they're preparing for this, and remember, while WrestleMania aired the first weekend of April, it's taped over a week prior. And the day before they're going to tape this match, Undertaker gets, uh, Mark Calloway gets a phone call from his niece informing him that his older brother has had a heart attack. And when he asks what hospital he's in, she informs him that he didn't make it, that he died. And this guy has to go through with this match with that on his shoulders. And this, of course, uh, no one had any knowledge of this. Uh, but on top of that, which Callaway notes, was the fact that it's not just going to work the next day. It's going to do this match where he is surrounded by the imagery of a makeshift graveyard with caskets. Um, this, this blew my mind. Totally bizarre scenario, but yeah, a really sad scenario. I had no idea that, I don't think any of us really had any idea what, what Taker was personally going through the, the day that he shot this. Um, very unfortunate and certainly adds a, a different layer to this already. I would say by this point, pretty talked about and, you know, um, memorable match. Yeah, I mean, it's almost what isn't said that to me is also very indicative of this guy. Like, it's it's not even broached, the idea of delaying this a day or, or anything like that. It's just not even a question that, you know, he's going ahead with this. He's he's doing this the, the, the day after learning his brother has died. 
Um, so anyway, it, it certainly adds a lot to this match, um, knowing what he was uh, working through. And then we just and, and just yeah. like the scene of like seeing Mark Calloway. I mean, certainly this entire documentary has been really breaking our perceptions of like this person, this person who's been so protective of his persona on any sort of documentary. Any anytime he's been in front of a camera, he's been he's been so protective of like not showing who he really is. You got a lot of it in this documentary, but in this particular uh, portion of the documentary, you saw the guy get emotional and start mm-hmm. crying, which I've never yeah. seen before on camera. So really, uh, yeah, really ex- exposing himself. Um, they just show highlights of the Boneyard match with uh, Metallica over top of it. And, you know, the, the, the symbolism of the, the last shot where he's uh, the big Undertaker symbol is lit up on the uh, on the barn. And then he just rides off into the darkness that to me was a, like a really great end to that entire scene. And it was you know, tremendously well-received. This is not a case of WWE uh, overstating the reception to this match. It was, for many people, the highlight of both nights and, you know, a, a fantastic experiment that they, you know, did not go in with at risk that how will this be received, especially closing the show, uh, could not have gone better. I thought it was going to be terrible. <laughs> I thought it was going to be the opposite. It ended up being a highlight, Absolutely. And one of the best things, I think, to come out of this year's WrestleMania. So, uh, Mention the fact that he legit, when he put the arm through the, the window of the hearse, there was they actually had to stop shooting to remove glass from his arm. And they didn't wrap this thing up until 5 in the morning. God, they didn't say how long it lasted, but God knows how many hours this thing took. And he was talking about, like, it's pretty tough when you have to start and stop and like the adrenaline is wearing off. Uh, I can imagine what this guy felt like coming out of this, but he said he it had the physical toll of doing a hard 45 minute match. So it does make you wonder, because I think a lot of the talk coming out of this match was that, oh, Taker's career can go on for several more years because he could definitely do these movie scenes. But, um, you know, as he says, they were something like this was incredibly physically taxing on its own because you're. You know, rather than having adrenaline carry you through maybe a 20 minute performance, you're starting and stopping and starting and stopping. And so you're feeling all the little aches and pains. Your muscles are freezing up. Your bones are, are, you know, definitely probably not in great shape to have to, you know, go through that endurance doing an action scene for that amount of time. Uh, so it makes you wonder if there's an, even a chance of something like this happening again with him. And then we go two months into the future. So this would have been around the end of May. And there, the, this family gets hit with another tragedy in this short period of time because Michelle McCool's nephew, who was only a teenager, uh, died in this car accident, which is just is just awful uh, what they're dealing with. And you get a real retrospective um, – introspective, I should say, Mark Calloway, who even mentions like the impact Kobe Bryant's death had on him in terms of reflecting on his life and all that he's worked for, but not taking the time to enjoy all of what he's done. And he's got his family. And that was about as perfect an ending to a career as he's going to get at this time with the Boneyard match. Specifically cites the close call he had with the Goldberg match and how he could have really been paralyzed if it was two inches off 
and he wouldn't, you know, like it made him really reflect about the time he spends with his family and how that could have been taken away, like in a moment. And it's it's a new interview they, they shoot with him where he says that he has no desire to return to the ring and he gets choked up just saying that. He just says, you know, I've got a, a pit in my stomach right now just from saying that. But he couches it that if Vince was in a pinch, time will tell. Never say never. Uh, but he says, I have no desire to get back into the ring. And then I'm looking at the time here. We got like 10 minutes left. It's like this seems to be like the perfect way to go off here. Uh, but they did like the big musical montage. We got George Strait here. Comments from all his friends in the business, peers, clips from his career. Just, I mean, they treat this last 10 minutes as though they treat it like it's his retirement. And that's how it ends, which um, kind of was, you know, he he's not shutting the door completely. But I will say that it was... It was enough that I think if this guy comes back, whether it's WrestleMania next year, whenever it is, I think there would be a sizable amount of people that would be greatly disappointed if this guy comes back. Yeah, I think a lot of people after this, you know, this entire thing has been about him overstaying his welcome to the point where if, if they felt like the actions of an addict. And to just come back, even if it was for the announcement of a match, I mean, I would say they would certainly have to address it. You know, they would have to address this version of Mark Calloway that's been presented over these past few weeks. But if they presented it as, <laughs> this is really the last one. Uh, they can't. They can't. It's. I, I wonder. I wonder. Um, I, I. You know, I'm in. I. I don't know if I'm in favor of of seeing him in a match again. But I. I, I feel like what he did with the the Cena appearance that year, just coming out doing a choke slam, like the entrance at this point is really what. A lot of people still, you know, I don't think would have any trouble seeing on a special occasion in a, in a, in a stadium setting. And I, I, I could I could still like enjoy that, you know, every couple of years. I think I think they do the Hall of Fame next year with him. I think that would be the time to do it. It's now. Mm-hmm. I mean, after, what do you do with this year's Hall of Fame? Oh, that's a great question. Um, yeah, you you still have to do that at some point. Um yeah, we'll see if they end up doing it on one of these like pay-per-view weekends, but I mean, God knows when they'll be able to pull off something like that. Yeah. It's um I, I think at this point now, like the whole thing was like, how do you do that Undertaker Hall of Fame ceremony? That's not an issue anymore. Like this guy, after a a career of being so limited when it came to interviews, this guy's done uh several careers worth of interviews. He has done interviews everywhere and anywhere. Minus here, but pretty much everywhere. Right. Yeah. And and, and, he, and it seems like he really does enjoy doing these interviews. Like I've watched enough of these that with him that he just seems to, you know, he's completely open. It's for a guy that talks about how guarded he was, doesn't seem to really have any hang up about it's like mentally. It's like, he's an open book now. Oh my God. The man's doing like Instagram ads for supplements. You know, I, I would say he probably has, has definitely given that, that side up and, uh, do you think that there's actually let, let your joints rest in peace even at my age <laughs> sir but you know this definitely opens the door up if he is in fact retired for a number of of specials you can do like you know those kind of like classic rivalry sit down things you can do uh match commentaries i suppose things like that getting him to t- to open up about so many specific things that he was a part of throughout his career so 
I imagine he'll still keep busy and stay involved with the company. I would have loved the follow-up question uh, when he said, if Vince is in a pinch, you know, time will tell if he called me. I'd be like, this guy's going to have like a record year of revenue. Define what a pinch is that <laughs> Vince McMahon would find himself in. That would require you. Okay, what that's it, what would be a pinch that this guy would be in? Well, Saudi Arabia have, has been, I, I suppose, pinches. Like that, even that Super Showdown show in, in Australia, anytime they need a stadium size headliner, they've not hesitated to call The Undertaker. Well, I don't know. The Undertaker, if ever there is one part of the world that I think has, um, he's probably had his fill of, it's probably, as he just refers to it, Saudi. You think so? You think he's done with it? Um, at this point, the Goldberg match, the, the tag with, uh, with Kane against Sean and Hunter, um, I don't well, know. I think, I think he'll be there for the next one. God, I hope he doesn't get in his head that he has to redeem himself in all the territories around the world. Mm. It's like he's got to have that great match now in Saudi Arabia. Well, my gut says that Vince will find himself in a self-defined pinch at some point, but I really do hope this is kind of it. I think I, I do. I, I'm a bit of a sucker for the poetry of the riding off into the darkness scene from that Boneyard match. That to me is about, let, let's put it this way. This guy comes back. I don't think there's anyone that's going to feel bad if he doesn't get that, that send off. He, you have been presented it. Like if this, the whole point of this series has been him searching for this thing that you largely can't catch. This is the gambling addict who just left in the green, in the black. And if he comes back at three in the morning and puts all the chips on the table, I don't know how many, how much sympathy he will get if he is not satisfied. Right. Part of me wonders if he even cares because he definitely had like a fine send off, you know, yeah, the match wasn't great against Roman, but they did the whole thing with the retirement ceremony. And yet, you know, it still decides to come back. I mean, part of me wonders how much he even like thinks about what he's done. And instead, like he see maybe is just somebody who looks towards the future because something will present itself. Um, an opportunity will present itself. It always does. Look at Shawn Michaels. So. The only limitation to me is his body, and I don't, I don't know if he's there yet because clearly he could still run ropes and do a whole lot. But anyway, yeah, that was the last ride. Any final thoughts, just in terms of a WWE production, like where this kind of ranks in terms of you know documentaries that they have put out? Like this is certainly, yeah, certainly on like the higher end of them. This was uh, several um, layers deeper than your typical. WWE documentary that they put out. It, it's definitely up there uh, as far as, you know, like broadcast ones. I mean, if we're kind of, if we're going back to comparing all of them, uh, like including the DVD ones, um, hard to say. I don't know, the ECW one? I don't even know. I don't even categorize that as, as sort of like the same like era. Like the, those ones back when it was like just released for DVD feel so different than the level that they're at right now. But as far as the network goes, I think this might be like the most high profile documentary thing that they've done. Certainly like the one that seems to have received the most mainstream press. Um, and I really enjoyed it. Obviously much of that comes down to the subject, the person that uh, is given the access. And it was certainly an un unprecedented, unprecedented amount for Mark Holloway. I 
do feel at some point like uh, the, in this episode the story just kind of ended up being rather redundant you know mm-hmm. every yeah. episode is like this yep. guy has a match and then he can't leave and then he has another match and he decides he can't leave the match is good he can't leave the match is bad he can't leave and yes that is the story and that is the point but i found myself almost getting a little tired of it by the end but um you know still overall very entertaining uh enlightening and uh yeah there you go yeah interesting choice of fashion from the undertaker throughout the entire uh series that's definitely been a talking point but um you know he he's um he I, I mean he did for, for the the last sit down he did go over to the roots of fight clothing so he did make that choice at the end yes the rocky marciano hoodie mm-hmm. all right well that was the last ride everybody and that's going to wrap up another edition of Rewind a Raw. So thanks to everybody for tuning in. We're going to be back Tuesday night, Ground Zero, 1997. You can still get in feedback if you would like. The feedback thread is up at forum.postwrestling.com. This is the, the listener's choice edition of Rewind Away. So that's going to be coming your way Tuesday night for members of the Post Wrestling Cafe. And then we're back Wednesday night with Rewind to Dynamite. So thank you to everybody for tuning in. And we'll speak with you later on this week.